It's a glorious season, isn't it? Yes, it is. We love it. I love that passage that Ashton read. It's such a familiar story, isn't it? It's one of the most well-known stories that we've ever heard. And so it's easy to listen to it and let some of the words just kind of wash over us. And I've been trying to sort of live into that story this week and thinking about the humble baby Jesus born in a manger to Mary and Joseph and thinking about my own life and it caused me to think about our son Connor's birth when Cynthia gave birth. You know, we, uh, our firstborn, uh, Connor, uh, we, we moved from L.A. to Kansas City and uh, never lived there before. I was a pastor at a church there. And uh, time for Cynthia to deliver, to, to, to give birth. You know, the time had come. And, of course, you know, she had to find a new OBGYN, and that makes you kind of nervous and how this is all going to work. And then we're working out the insurance challenges, and it's at that point that we discovered that, um, well, Cynthia, they told her, you have a pre-existing condition. It's your baby, your pregnancy. And our insurance wasn't going to kick in yet while we're now in this new hospital with a new doctor in Kansas City. And so we ended up having to pay for Connor with cash. And of course, I've never let him forget that (laughs) his whole life. Buddy, cold, hard cash. And uh, you know, the, the, the truth of the matter is, is that we, we, would, we would have paid a million dollars for Connor. I mean, we love him so much. And then I was thinking about the million dollars. Isn't that how much it costs to raise a kid today? We've already paid that whole million dollars. When I think about the story of Jesus, it really is not that similar to our story with Connor. But it's an amazing story. It's an amazing gift that God gave us. When I think about what Ashton read and the story in Luke 2, I, I kind of think of the, the narrative going through three movements. And the, 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 the first one happens to be the birth of Jesus, the humble birth of Jesus. And then it moves into the angel bringing good news. But in the end, there's a response required by the shepherds. And as we look at the shepherds, as we let them be our guide, our teachers today... I just pray that the Holy Spirit would open up your heart, your mind, that you would be thinking about what is the response today? It's so important during this season that it's not just, oh, that was wonderful, but that we think, what is the response that I need to make? Even today, what is that response? Because we start with the sweet baby Jesus, But the sweet baby Jesus was born in a particular place, in a particular time. God has chosen through Luke to let us know that the birth of Jesus was in the milieu of early Roman rule, first century Roman world. And I want you to notice the contrasts that are in Luke's development of the story. Think of the the shocking juxtaposition. Really, 
Let your mind engage what God is trying to do in this story. Because he's a sweet baby Jesus, but it's so much more than that. The story tells us that in those days, Caesar Augustus said, there's going to be a census. Y'all got to go register. Caesar Augustus was the first Roman emperor with political power and military might enough to command the entire Roman world to move around and go get registered in your hometown. He was in charge. And now you have this peasant teenage couple. The contrast between Caesar and Joseph and Mary could not be greater. They had nothing to offer compared to Caesar Augustus. And their baby's born in a manger. And that's a, a cute kind of addition to our Christmas cards and our Christmas celebration. But just be reminded that a manger is a feeding trough where animals eat and live. And then the story goes to the shepherds living out in the fields. Low on the honor totem pole. And then the angels break the silent night with a disturbing and a delightful declaration. Juxtapositions all over the place in this story of the sweet baby Jesus. Remember Mary's song last week when the angel Gabriel announced to her she was going to give birth to a son? And she breaks into this song in verse 52. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. It's happening right here in our story in Luke 2. And just keep that word humble in your mind. God's decision during this glorious season is to work through humility. Luke really, he wants us to know there's something else going on here. He, he, he wants us to scratch our heads and go, wait a minute. Okay, I know history's marching on, but there's something else going on here. There's something below the surface that I need to pay attention to. It's as if the angels are sort of peeling back the curtain. You know, just kind of op opening up to give us a glimpse of what's really there. It's as if you were sailing around the peninsula, but you couldn't see it because it was shrouded in fog the way it is sometimes. And then on your return trip back to the harbor, the fog is kind of lifted, and now you can see what was there all along. That's what happens with the angels. That's the story that they're telling. So it's important to keep asking, what does all this mean? Look at the Christmas story anew this year. What, is, what does this mean? And what's required of me? What, what's my response to what God is doing? So think about Caesar Augustus, the first Roman emperor. Declares a census. Everyone's going to go and get registered. His name was originally Gaius. Gaius Octavius. But he was given the name Augustus, which is, you know, kind of this venerable, honorable title in 27 B.C. when he became the emperor. And he asserted the divinity of his late adopted father, Julius Caesar, who happened to be his grand uncle. 
And Julius Caesar adopted him so that he could become the new ruler. He allowed himself to be called the son of God because Julius Caesar had become a god. This paved the way for his own deification upon his death. The Roman emperors were worshipped as sons of God or as God himself. In fact, there's an inscription that's been found by archaeologists called the Marian inscription, and this is actually what it says about Augustus. Divine Augustus Caesar, son of a god, imperator of land and sea, the benefactor and savior of the whole world. It's what he was known as. He called a census. Five times you'll see in the text this focus on a census. It's a reminder, Rome is in charge. Rome is in charge and we can squash you if we want. So they had a census in order to go to their towns to be registered and to pay a tax. Pay a tax and a tribute of allegiance to Rome. But you notice how God orchestrates history? He's using Caesar Augustus without his knowledge to move humble Mary and Joseph to the town of David. Because Micah 5.2 said that the Son of God, the Messiah, was going to be born in Bethlehem. And in verse 6 of chapter 2, the time came for the baby to be born. It reminds me that God is always, always on time. And he is the orchestrator of history, even though the emperors have no idea or give him acknowledgement for that. The time came for the baby to be born. Reminds me, chapter 1, what Gabriel said to Mary about this baby. Compare this to how Augustus viewed himself. This is what the angel says in verse 31. Mary, you will conceive and give, give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David... And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. Verse 33, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. It's a new sheriff in town. These are fighting words. These are powerfully, politically pregnant words about this little baby. In fact, they're so powerful and so dangerous and so explosive that when you read the story in Matthew 2, you discover that the Roman leaders go to Bethlehem and kill every single baby boy two years and under. It's that threatening. So yes, he's a sweet baby Jesus. But believe me, this is blasting a hole in everyone's assumptions and expectations about what is actually going on at the moment. And is it not amazing? No wonder people missed it because Mary and Joseph go into Bethlehem and they cannot find a place 
to deliver their baby. And they end up in a barn, in a cave, where animals are housed and fed, and Jesus is placed in a manger. It's a feeding trough for cows. What is God thinking? He has an idea and a plan. Sweet baby Jesus. And the angel called this good news. Said, I have good news for you. What is, what is the good news? What is this good news that's being announced to the shepherds? This is the third angel sighting in the Jesus story so far. Remember, there's Zechariah. He's the husband of Elizabeth. And when the angel Gabriel showed up to him, he was terrified, struck with fear that ended up making him mute, unable to talk. And then there's Mary. Gabriel shows up to Mary and says, hey, you're a virgin, but you're going to get pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and you're going to give birth to this amazing baby. And when the angel spoke, she was so afraid. Now the shepherds. He shows up to the shepherds. In verse 9, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and it says they were terrified. It's an interesting reaction of all three of these. When the presence of God comes close, people are struck with fear, trying to figure out, what does this mean? It's interesting that God chose to announce Jesus' birth, not to Caesar, not to the place of power, but to the shepherds, watching over sheep in the middle of the night in the foothills around Bethlehem. The shepherds. The shepherds were important people, and it's interesting that the New Testament decides to give pastors the same title. <laughs> shepherds. So they were, they, were, they were important people, but they were... They were at the bottom of the social hierarchy. That's where God decided to show up, speak his message. And verse 10, notice it. The angel said to them, hey, don't be afraid. Yeah, right. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This is good news that will cause great joy. Joy traded out for fear. The good news wants to bring joy in the midst of unrest and uncertainty and frustration and discouragement. The good news of Christmas is that joy really can come in spite of our circumstances. And who's the good news for? It says, for all the people. You know, the census where Caesar had everyone register was for the, verse 1, the entire Roman world. And here God says, no, yeah. The, the, the good news is for everyone. Every person here. 
every person listening, every person that is in your family, every person in our community, every person that has ever lived, the angel says, this is good news for them. But what is this good news? The word that is used by Luke is a very common word in the Roman world. Good news. It was used all the time. Good news. I'm bringing you some good news. And it's a word, euangelizomai. It's the way it's kind of laid out in Greek. And it's, it's, a, it's an important word, but it's a common word. Good news. Euangelizomai is where we get the word evangel or gospel. It's where we get the word evangelism from euangelizomai. It's where we get the word evangelical. Now, you may have heard the word evangelical a lot, you know, in the news or, you know, people talking about the evangelicals and you you have this picture in your mind of the evangelicals and what they stand for and represent. You know what I like to do? I'd like to just peel all that back and I'd like to go right to this story and I'd like to let the Bible tell us what an evangelical is from the shepherd's story. In fact, I love the word evangelical. I don't like the way it's been co-opted in our particular setting and culture. And I'd like to let God refresh our thinking about that word. Because it's right here in the shepherd's story. The good news. See, the word was used a lot. There would be a messenger in the Roman Empire, and the messenger would come by ship, come by... um, Uh, land uh, as a runner or on a horse and they would come to bring the news good news the emperor has had a baby boy there's a new king in town and the the messenger would come and announce it to the whole to the whole community because somehow his uh, Instagram and and Facebook and Twitter have been disconnected from his uh, accounts and he couldn't get it out there so so he had to do it He had to do it verbally. The messenger would bring the good news. And oftentimes, uh, they would bring the good news of a military victory. The king has won the war. We're in charge. We've taken a new city. Here are the spoils of that war. And oftentimes, euangelizomai, or this word of good news, would be combined with the emperor as the savior. Good news about a Savior. This baby, as we heard, brings salvation. And in fact, the Roman cities in Asia Minor decided that the birthday of Augustus should become the very first day of the year. And so they began to mark their calendars with each new year with Augustus's birthday. And it's put into an inscription. Here's part of the praying inscription that archaeologists have found. We can look at it today. The birthday of the god Augustus has marked the beginning of the good news for the world. You see, that contrast with the story of Jesus and what the angel is saying is good news? The angel used the same word. Essentially what he's saying, you think you've heard good news before? 
You think Augustus can bring you good news? I want to bring you a higher quality good news. I want to bring you the real thing. So what is the good news that the angels brought? And by the way, this is the way the entire New Testament carries on the use of this word. Today in the town of King David, verse 11. And then the angel gives him three titles. Here's the good news. A Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah or the Christ. He's the Lord. Savior, Christ, Lord. Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's a title. Jesus The Christ is our Savior, and he's the Lord. Jesus is Lord. So number one phrase of those early Christians, Jesus is Lord. Savior, what does it mean? It means a deliverer. He's the Savior. He's our deliverer. The angels are saying, you know, Augustus, he claims to be the Savior. He claims to be the Deliverer. But he can't do what this Savior can do. He's the Messiah. The word used is Christos, where we get Christ. He's the Anointed One. He's the Chosen One. He's the Davidic King. And he's our Deliverer. Put your hope and your trust in him, not Augustus. And then finally, he uses the word Lord. He calls Jesus the Lord. Curios, the Lord. Means he's my master. He's my owner. This is the same word that's used to talk about God. There's one Lord over all of heaven and earth, and it's our one God. And now the term is applied to Jesus. He's the Lord. Augustus wants to be your Lord. He claims to be your Lord. And he can orchestrate his political machinations to move you all over the place and tax you to death. But he's not your Lord. There's only one Lord. And right now he's a little baby in a manger. As humble as one could be. N.T. Wright is famous for saying, to say that Jesus is Lord is to say that Caesar is not. Explosive phrase, Jesus is Lord. Wait a minute. No, 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 no. Don't you know that the emperor is in charge here? No, he's really not. God's in charge. And Jesus is Lord. So, the angels decided to give the shepherds some proof. Why did he say... In verse 14. No, verse 12. This will be a sign to you. Why why did the angels want to give them a sign? I I think one of the reasons is that over time, Yohan de Lizamo, the good news brought by the messenger, the messengers over time got a little tired of not having good news. And so sometimes the general would tell them, look, go take some good news to the city because they're getting discouraged. We're not doing that well in our military conquest. So the messengers would come and bring good news, 
but it wasn't true. It was false news. They weren't winning the battle, but they just, they just said it to spin it and cause the people to feel, oh, yeah, we're winning, we're winning. They really weren't. So then people began to doubt the messengers, got cynical about what was being said. So the angels say to the shepherds, look, I, I want you to have confidence. I, I want you to know for certain that what I'm saying is true. You go into Bethlehem and you'll find this baby in a manger. I want you to go see for yourselves. I think not only this is the sign and you'll find the baby, but it's sort of like, I want you to go. And not only do I want you to go, I think you need to go. I think this is really important for you shepherds. I think you need to get on down there and you need to check this out for yourself. So you will know for certain that what I've said is the truth. What the angels were saying to the shepherds is, this news in heaven requires a response. In verse 13, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. You know, the birth of Jesus has been reverberating through history for 2,000 years. And it continues to impact lives. It continues to change us as God works out his course of history toward the time when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So how do the, how do the shepherds respond? But better, how, how are we going to respond to the Christmas story this season? You know, I, I want to... I want to let the shepherds lead us and guide us. I think they can teach us a lot about the good news. And I just want to say, I consider myself an evangelical. And I really don't like the way the term has been co-opted today. I think we can let the shepherds give us a definition. Not, not, not the way sort of you hear it in the media today or different politicians will talk about, well, the evangelical vote. I would like to just set all that aside and say, what, what did it really mean? What does it really mean to be one who is caught up in the good news, an evangelical? Notice what the shepherds do. The angels left them in verse 15 they went back into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby once again in a manger. They hurried off. I think the first characteristic of an evangelical is they're drawn to Jesus. They head toward Jesus. Jesus is the center of their affection. 
They move toward him. They, evangelicals look for a, a first-hand, up-close, and personal relationship with Jesus. First-hand, the shepherds wanted to see it for themselves. They just didn't want to take it second-hand from the angels. They wanted to go and get next to Jesus. And maybe an alternative word to evangelical, because it's hard in this day and age, maybe a better way to think of it is, a, is, is being a follower of Jesus. That's what the shepherds were. They were a follower of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. Where he goes, I just follow him. He's my mentor. He's my leader. I'm his disciple. I'm a learner of Jesus. I'm letting his teachings and the way he lived and the trajectory of what he did in the New Testament to guide me so that I can live my life today the way Jesus would live his life if he were right here doing this himself. That's what the shepherds are doing. They hurried off. There's an urgency here. This Christmas, there's an urgency that we cut through all of the baggage that distracts us from the baby Jesus in the manger and from the Lord Jesus, whom one day every knee will bow and confess. The second thing that I think they did, which can be instructive to us, is in verse 17. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and everyone who heard it were amazed, amazed at what the shepherd said. A follower of Jesus, or if you will, an evangelical, one who brings good news, the euangelizomai, uh, is just one that tells their story. It's just, it's really super simple. We just tell our story of following Jesus, what he's guiding us in and leading us to, and what he brings to us in his grace and his love and his mercy. Our story of walking with Jesus is good news. It's evangelism, euangelizomai, at its very basic, at its most simple form. Just telling your story. And then look what Mary did. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. We just keep on pondering. The word pondering for Mary is she engaged her mind. She really thought it through. What is happening here? She was grasping the dangerous juxtaposition between Caesar Augustus and this baby born to be king. And she was, she was thinking deeply about it. Man, there's a cost to this discipleship. Those who are followers of Jesus don't hide from their minds. They fully engage them. And then finally, verse 20, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. It's a glorious season. Glory surrounded these early followers of Jesus, these shepherds. You know what glory is? Glory is splendor. It's brightness. That's why during this season we love the lights. Because light comes in and dispels the darkness. How we long for God's glory to break into our lives. It's a radiance. 
And the shepherds were manifesting that. Glory, at its most basic, is simply reflecting who God is to our friends around us. It's being so captured by Jesus. It's being so devoted to him in serious following of Jesus as we get close to him and have firsthand experiences of, yes, I will trust you as my life. You are my Lord. There are no other lords, those, those false lords that vie for my attention. I will refuse to follow them. I will follow Jesus. And as he begins to fill us, it overflows with a radiance of God's compassion and grace and mercy. And my friends, today, the good news needs to be really good news. Our world needs true good news. And Jesus is the one that can bring it to us. We're going to come to the table. And I just want to invite you, as you ponder with Mary, what your response might be. To think about the fact in verse 7, Mary wrapped Jesus in cloths and placed him in a manger. And then notice the very end of Luke's gospel, at the end of Jesus' earthly life. In chapter 23, they took his dead body off the cross and they wrapped him in linen cloth and placed him in a tomb. Luke pulls those two bookends of Jesus' life and brings them together in cloths in a humble manger, in cloths in a borrowed tomb. Jesus is the humble king. And in one sense, that's what this table represents. It represents the way to get close to Jesus is through humility. To say, you know what? I actually can't be my own Lord. I can't do this on my own. I have things in my life and I have behaviors and decisions that are so complex and complicated. I desperately need Jesus to wash me and cleanse me and help me. Today, one of the responses is to say yes to Jesus. Yes, Jesus, you are Lord. Maybe you're not there yet. Maybe your mind is really pondering and wrestling with this. This Christmas season may be just the most appropriate time to think deeply, get up close and personal to Jesus. Surrender to him. Trust him. I trust you, Jesus as my Lord. So we'll come and we'll take uh, the bread which represents Jesus' body and then we dip it in the cup which represents Jesus' blood. Shed for us. This baby born in a manger, God himself, the Lord of the universe, has gone to the cross for you and for me. The table is the place where we appropriate that for us. We eat it. We take it into ourselves and we say, I'm in. With all of my complexity, I'm in. Let's bring the worship team up and uh, let me pray.
I always thank you for um, your amazingly counterintuitive plan. It doesn't make sense to any of the powers. Uh, and you, yet you pulled it off, God. You, you pulled it off, and you continue today to pull it off. May we just discover, Lord, how to love our community as true followers of Jesus. We surrender to you in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.